I'm Evan DeWald, and I am joined by Tara Lindsley, and we are the voices behind the Unpacked Podcast. On the Unpacked Podcast, one of the things we love to do is talk about life and storytelling, and sometimes life gets messy and vulnerable and all those things. So we have conversations, conversations with counselors, with psychologists, with industry leaders, storytellers, and just regular humans that are making a difference in the world. Yeah, and we're just hoping to grow and reflect and heal together. So you can find our podcast anywhere you subscribe to your podcasts. New episodes come out every Thursday. Enjoy. Make sure to like and subscribe. See you there. Hey, Tara. Hey. How was your weekend? It was good. Yeah. What, what did you guys do? <laughs> we hung out with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was so good. <laughs> Obviously, our regular backyard hang. Yep. It was, uh, it was nice out. It was so nice. Yeah. It's about to get cold again. Yeah, polar so. vortex coming. Yeah, so get ready. Yeah, the big the big PV is on its way. <laughs> I don't think people call it that, but... You don't call right. it a PV? No, okay. no. It's fun. I also like that we just like have marshmallows and hang out and... Yep, that's always good. You guys all got some eggs too, right? I didn't bring... I keep forgetting cartons. Oh, I'll have to send you some eggs home today. With what? What am I going to put? Farmer there? Otto here, he's like... <laughs> He's, he's 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 like producing well he's not personally producing any <laughs> eggs but uh man his uh his little his chilla chicken operation is really kicking into gear here and we got stacks of eggs kicking around here we got to get rid of yeah i love eggs so i should actually maybe you can just put some in my backpack when i leave <laughs> stick them in your pockets <laughs> see what a good driver you are on your way home today <laughs> i'm a fantastic driver i don't fantastic know what you're talking driver, about yeah. yes um what do you like to call them? What was the group chat text that we got that you typically call the eggs? You oh, don't call them eggs. Like butt nuggets? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so appealing. Yeah. Isn't that tasty? That just has breakfast written all over it, doesn't it? <laughs> I think not. How about you? How was your week? You know, it was a good week. I was doing a bunch of work in the shop, which required a bunch of sanding. It, it required that I take advantage of my type one in stress, like... The diligent, stay focused, stay on task kind of a thing. It's hard work to to refinish something. Yeah, no. And I will say this, you know, before I get to that, uh, what I'm refinishing, oh, they're starting to take shape and they're beautiful. They're going to be. Are you yeah. going to share about them? Yeah, maybe I will. I'll post okay. on my on my Instagram on, on Recess Creek. Um, so yeah, no, that, that part is good. Like the end product is starting to come together and it's starting to look like something. So it's motivating. Yeah. Are we going to... Talk about that we had also a sad week. We were feeling a little grief. You know what? I was. I was. And I, yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things we're always trying to talk about is on the podcast is that life can be messy sometimes. And sometimes it's messy in real time. It's not like mm-hmm. mess you talk about in the in the past tense, but it's actually in the present. And yeah, for me this weekend, yeah, uh, some things kind of went on. And uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of produced a lot of grief for me. I was, I was really sad. Me too. Yeah. So I had to try to figure that out. Yeah, like work through the emotions yeah. that you don't always see coming. Yeah, and we've we, you know we've established on other Enneagram episodes at least that that's not actually something I've I'm like proficient at. That's still in a lot of ways like figuring out emotions and then f- letting them be particular negative emotions is really important to kind of coming out the other side in a healthy, authentic, healed sort of a way. Yeah, it's important so it doesn't like bleed out everywhere. Yeah, and I think that one of the great one of the great gifts of it this weekend was that for whatever reason, no, I'm doing this. Sometimes it helps to have the space to do that too. Yeah. And I did have that, you know, my, I, I've said it on previous episodes, like the shop for me uh, is an important sanctuary. 
So yeah, I think I, I did some good work in there. Yeah. Um, not only refinishing some tables, but probably doing some, some good work on my own, on my own soul. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I was doing that too. I had a little, um, Sunday is hard to be experiencing those emotions because everybody's home, but the space that it usually works well for me is working out. I have time to be alone and listen to music or a podcast and process my feelings. Usually I like journal at the same time or write a note of what I need to talk to my therapist about. I make notes mm -hmm. about that too, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can let the feelings be. I, I didn't see them coming as much as they did this time. So mm -hmm. it's like, nope, this is what I'm feeling right now. We've got to do that. And naming it, yeah. like being able to, you know, let it be, name it yeah, and then move on. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, since we're on the topic, I, I really do hope I, we encourage our listeners to be thinking about, well, where are the sanctuaries in your life and your story? Like, where are the places that you get to actually process through thinking, but also process through your, your feelings and your heart center and, and, and figure out how, what you do with that. Hey, this week, um, we had a fun conversation uh, with this person who's like, literally on the other side of the continent from us. Yeah. <laughs> like Florida is a long ways from Alberta. I know we should have taken a field trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> we should have done this one in person. Yeah. You know, fly down there, you know, hey, let's pop over to Disney world for a sec. And you know, sounds hit, great. Hit the beach. Yeah. You know, work on the tan. I'm starting to look a little, little, you know, winter pale right mm, now. So pretty much my standard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rising tides car wash. And, um, Three coming to you from three locations. If you're in Florida, hit them up. Hit them up. You need your rental car wash, or you're if you're living in Florida, you got to go. You got to pop in here and get your car washed. He says these guys are doing a whole lot more than just washing cars. They are really investing in people's lives. Tom, Tom Derry uh, is the owner. I didn't say that. He's got a fam some family that's kind of working. It's a family business that's kind of grown into something. And they have uh, his his younger brother Andrew is. Um, is on the spectrum and uh, they started this business to kind of create a space for autistic people people uh to to work um and it's really grown into something um interesting fact that i'm sure will be in the episode but almost a hundred employees in the three car washes 80 of which are on the spectrum yeah pretty cool yeah. And, and you can imagine the kind of work that's gone into that. And we, we care a lot about our autistic friends and, and the people in our lives that, that uh, are parents of children right now with autism. But, uh, oh, wow. He had so much to offer any business owner. Yeah. How to have an inclusive business. Yeah. Like he's taken his learnings. He's made a book. Like he's sharing his story with his brother of finding spaces and cr how you create those spaces for people too. Yeah. Just a beautiful story. And, and he was fun to talk to. He was a good storyteller too. So yeah. Hey, I, uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode and, and like always uh, leave us a review, um, like subscribe. We always love the DMS that, that come into unpacked on Instagram. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you find yourself in a sanctuary this week a place where you can think and feel and process. Enjoy. Hello, how are you guys doing? We're good. Hi, good. We're doing good. How about you? Good. Yeah, good. Hey, we're excited for today to have Tom Derry with us. And uh, 
soon to be published author. <laughs> yeah, exciting. And also, uh, he's got a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, how are you? It's so awesome to be on the show with you guys today. Yeah, it's um, it's always fun when we hear and get to hear stories uh, from anyone. Uh, but what, it's really awesome when we hear stories from people that are long, very long way away from us. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so you're, you're actually hailing all the way from Florida. That's right. Yep. Quite, quite a ways away from Canada. Yeah, it's very far. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're on the western end of like side of Canada. So we're... We're like the other side of the continent, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> well, this is a time of year where it's, it's good to be in Florida, coming down when it's all chilly up there. Yes. It really is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't remind us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there doesn't appear to be any trips to Florida in our future, so... Although you tried hard. You were like, maybe we need to go in person. I was trying, but it, yeah. I think you should. There's some budgetary things probably going on. So. Yeah. We're, we are glad that you've kind of set aside some time to talk to us a little bit about your story and a little bit of kind of the projects that you're up to. And, um, and we're mostly really excited about it because we care a lot about what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, because a, a big part of what unpacked has been about but also what tara and i have been about is really like what does it look like to be inclusive uh in all spaces that that uh we enter whether that's the nonprofit sector that we enter into or whether that's the workforce and what does it look like to create an environment that is like hospitable to all people and uh so we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh your family and kind of how you've kind of come into this and and uh so we're kind of excited to hear a little bit about that um so so can you tell us just like to kick it off, like, w- tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and, and, and your life. Like, what's your life about? And, and uh, yeah, the, the details of, uh, of who you are so people get a sense of, of Tom. My family started Rising Tide Car Wash as a, really a means to employ my brother, Andrew, who's on the autism spectrum. So uh, my dad and I uh, started the business with this thinking of, well, what would Andrew be able to do? Uh, when he became an adult, and I'm I'm 20 months older than Andrew, so at this point he was graduating high school, uh, I was finishing up college, and it was really clear that we were going to have to take action for Andrew to lead a full adult life, even though he was totally capable of it. He had worked so hard as a kid. I, I remember vividly, you know, when we were when we were little, he would. He'd, he'd go to school all day and then he would have like three or four hours of therapy after school and he'd speech therapy, academic, uh, you know, tutoring, uh, behavioral therapy. And he would just work so hard and all that work really helped him mature into just a, a wonderful young man. But because you know, he communicates differently and, and generally as a society, we look at autism as a disability that requires sympathy instead of a really valuable diversity. It was really hard for him to, to find employment. And in fact, in the program that he was in, we're actually from New York originally, so we were up in New York, in the program that he was in up there, he nobody got a job. No one was able to find real employment. So you know, we knew we had to act. And my dad had been an entrepreneur for, for my entire life. And I had graduated with an undergraduate business degree. So I was really excited about this idea of social entrepreneurship. And he turned to me one day and was like, Tom, you know, we got to do something for Andrew. I want to start a business that will employ him and create a community for him. I'd love you to do it with me. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. 
And, you know, that kind of kicked off what's now been uh, an 11 year long journey. Uh, a lot of winding steps in between, some challenges for sure. But, you know, our family's love and, and the, the real the need that we had to, to support Andrew really helped us kind of work through those. And you know, we, we set this goal of employing people with autism for like 80% of our staff. That was always our goal. And that really guided a lot of what we did. And it, it, it caused us to really look at our business in a way where it really had to empower people with autism, right? That's 80% of our staff. We need to be successful. They have to do a really awesome job. They have to be just as capable, if not more capable than any other employees at any other car wash. So but what we learned through that process of figuring out how to employ them was that they really have the same needs as everyone else. They're just more apparent. For, and, and that's really what, what the book is centered around, the, the power of potential, my book that comes out this January. You know, So yeah, I mean, this idea that if we build systems that are designed around people with autism, we actually build better systems for everyone. Yeah. So everybody actually wins. Exactly. Before we get further kind of down this road, can I, can I back, can I pull you back into high school and, and junior high? And so I'm, I'm making an assumption. So maybe the assumption is wrong, but only being 20 months older than your brother. So were you in the same school at times together? We were for, for a short period. So, uh, Andrew, he was in like regular mainstream classes for a few years. And then he quickly kind of transitioned to doing some electives in, in our uh, general education school. And then he moved on to a, um, a school for, that was specifically for people with autism. So we had, we were, there was a small overlap. It wasn't as much as I would have liked. Um, I also, I did, I went to uh, like Catholic high school for sports. So uh, like we wouldn't have been in the same high school anyway. What was that? What was it like? So I, I guess I'm trying to get at this and it's going to, I'm, I'm going to clumsily get at this. <laughs> um, what was it like for you as an older brother then when you're in school together and your brother is obviously struggling with some differences in the way in which he's learning and that I would assume in the way in which he's socializing with other students? Were there, were there stories or, or moments for you, whether it was there or in other environments, maybe where you were? where you're as the older brother, your, your heart was broken by what you saw and how, how maybe he was treated uh, and or accepted or not accepted. I, I get at this really because, you know, in, in my past career, um, which was, it was within the context of, of the church. This has been one of my observations, right? Is that so often people don't know how People don't know how to interact with mm -hmm. those who have autism. And that actually is, <laughs> is very true of me. Um, even as a pastor, uh, there were lots of times when I desperately wanted to make a connection with some of the kids in our, in our church who had aut who were autistic. And, and I broke all the, the rules. Like I made it so much harder for them, not, not realizing I was doing that. My wife, Kristen, is, she's a huge advocate for kids with autism and adults with autism anyway people with <laughs> autism and um and uh, i was telling her about this kind of like interaction i had had with one of the young men that are he was a teenager at the time and just saying i can't seem to connect with them but i can see other people are connecting with them so 
why, like, he must be freaked out by me because I'm the pastor. And she was like, no, he's freaked out by you because you come straight at him and look at him straight in the face and talk to him. And I was like, uh, what? Like, what are you talking about? And the style of questions. Yeah. And the way in which I was asking the questions. So I, I, that was a long story to kind of say, first of all, what was it like to be a young man? You watching your brother maybe not be as socially accepted into the communities that you were a part of, whether that was school or church or wherever that might be. So I think for me and and a lot of siblings uh, of people with autism, I think say this, this too, I ended up taking on this kind of persona almost of like a, uh, a, a sibling, like a parent sibling, right? It's, it's a much different relationship than, than I would have had if, if Andrew were, were neurotypical and, and didn't have an intellectual disability. He, you know, we didn't really fight too much, you know, like a, a normally brothers 20 months probably would have been at our throats <laughs> at each other's throats a lot. Uh, we never, we never really fought, but we never like, you know, we wouldn't have do, do like the normal brother things either. But I, I, I always like was the, tried to be there, probably didn't show up effectively a lot, but um, I tried to be there to support him and to protect him. So sometimes when I was young, that didn't come out so good. That was me like, you know, kind of almost fighting people if, if they were mean to Andrew, which, you know, probably wasn't the best look. Um but like that, that <laughs> like, I know that people can't see us right now and you, you look like you're sheepishly saying that, but in my mind, I'm like, yeah, of course you did. It makes sense. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're right though. Like you, there's probably ways now, you know how to handle it. Yeah. I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, right. that's still a hot button for me, obviously, but you know, I think I could probably keep myself together a little better. <laughs> um, I will say for Andrew, he, his childhood was maybe a bit unique in that he really did have a wonderful group of friends that like when they were in kindergarten, Andrew, like they loved Andrew because he would, he would like say all the lines to like their favorite movies. And that, that's his thing. He talks to you know, his, um, one of his ways that he, he, he uh, acts when he gets stressed is he like tell, says the lines of his favorite movies. So when he was young, he would do that. And the kids like loved that. But these the, these few kids are like three or four young men that like always looked out for Andrew, like so, and they ended up being like some of the most popular kids in his class. So I don't think Andrew experienced the bullying that most people with autism do. The, I think the statistic is something like ninety four percent of of adolescents with autism experience significant bullying. Wow. Which is you know, like that sucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think Andrew might be might be in the six percent that didn't uh, experience it significantly because of these these like incredible young men. Just I think would have it would have been a problem if 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 kids acted like that with him. So I mean, you know, there were situations when we were in school, like when we went on a vacation and stuff like that, where people you know might not treat Andrew the way he should have been treated. But actually, in school, I think he was pretty pretty well included. Um, so like that, that was really, that was really great. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about Andrew and like how young he was when he was diagnosed and some of like, just even his personality, like you said, the movies thing, that's, that's fun. Like, what did you guys like to do together? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
let's see. So he was diagnosed when he was about three years old, which at the time that was early. And that that's like what you want is like three-year-old early intervention is really important. But Andrew was born in, in 1990. So this was at this point, I think it was like one in 10,000 children were diagnosed with autism today. It's one in 44. So like there were it didn't happen the way that it, 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 it happens today as far as diagnosis and early diagnosis. So he did, he got an early diagnosis and that helped him get access to, you know, he, he got, we got him therapists and everything early on. And, and that certainly seemed to help him. And I think like personality wise, Andrew's the, the most like amenable person you'll ever meet. Like he totally goes with it. Like you are, um, like he's, he's the type of person where it's like, it's, it's incredibly difficult to be mean to Andrew because he, he so wants, he's just like so nice and like so pure and genuine and stimming almost. This is an autism term where he get like, he gets over when he gets, um, a little bit overstimulated is he, he says his movies, he loves like a, some movies and some video games. He still plays a lot of the same video games from like when we were kids, he, he loves like the Nintendo 64 video games and PS one crash bandicoot, like these early. In fact, we actually, we had a, um, a video go viral in like 2014, 2015. And like one of the pieces of it, we were just like hanging out at, at my parents' house and he was playing a video game and it was a uh, Turok, which was this like old N64 game. And people like, thousands of people in the comments were like, this kid's awesome. Like, I love that game. <laughs> so like, he loves these, like, you know, he, he kind of, he, as a lot of people with autism do, they have a routine that they, that gives them comfort and that they really like. And that certainly fits Andrew. The things that we did together when we were kids, uh, we both loved the museum of natural history. Andrew like really loved it. I also enjoyed going <laughs> I think, to a different level. Um, <laughs> It's like that was always fun. Uh, we watched movies together. That that was something that that we did. There's, I I loved pretty much the same movies that he did. Uh, still love animated movies. Those would be the things we we like mess around. I like joke around with him all the time. See if I can get a rise out of him. I'm sure he doesn't love that, but as a older <laughs> brother, I still do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we've got a good relationship now. You know, like we'll go like to Dave and Buster's or to Universal Studios. Those are places that he really likes to go. That's fun. He's like a completely different, it's, he's like his highest form of self when he's at Universal Studios because it's like his favorite place in the world. So he'll go and he'll like, you know, he knows, the, he memorized that park every, every inch of it, he knows. Um, so like we'll go there, him and my wife and I will go there sometimes. And, you know, so he's like directing us to the park. He's got his things he wants to do. He's super animated. It's really cool to see. That's okay. fun. So a couple of things. This is one of those moments when I really wish we were doing live video on yeah. our podcast because to watch you, Tom, um, literally light up <laughs> talking about your brother and all yeah. these great things about him is is it's pretty pretty mm -hmm. awesome. But, but one of the questions I had for you was like, so when you were saying he shares like talks when he stems he uses parts of movies and things like that i was just wondering if he was a huge transformers fan oh yeah not. he is okay because oh, because yeah. <laughs> we have an autobot sticker on my mom's car because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> isn't that how um uh bumblebee like, doesn't Bumblebee communicate? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's actually interesting. I never that's really, thought that's about so that. That's so funny. 
<laughs> I was like, where are you going with no, this? He always uses the radio all the time, right? To communicate. Anyways, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's interesting. Megatron is his favorite character. Oh, okay. Oh. There you go. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that is really... Um, I think one of those kinds of things is that um, my observation as well, and, and uh, my son plays on a soccer team here in, in our area, and he has a, a teammate that's that's got autistic. And um, it is fascinating to watch that team come around him. And also when he, I think this is one of those things that's really uh, hard to watch, is um, like autistic people are paying attention they, they are taking in everything and maybe even taking it in louder than everybody else is in the room. And I think that's one of the, the hardest or most heartbreaking things is I think the world as a whole hasn't acknowledged that. Yeah, I, that's a, such a good point. It's such a good point because I think that, you know, we we look at autism as it's this like social communication disorder and we tend to say that like, oh, people with autism don't have interest in social interactions. They don't experience empathy the same way that neurotypical people do. And and there's a really interesting, like growing body of research. I think it's pretty small at this point, but just also observationally, I, I really believe this. I mean, it's just a different way of socially expressing themselves. And they absolutely care about social interactions. They absolutely want to have social relationships. They absolutely experience empathy. They just don't experience it the same way. And our world is totally designed for neurotypical people, right? And even a subset of neurotypical people for being honest, right? So, um, you know, it certainly isn't designed for them. And, you know, a lot of times when we, we see people with autism get frustrated or have a meltdown or, or like uh, act out, we say, oh, well, like they have a problem. It's like mm, they have a problem with th this world that like you would have a problem, too, if, if everything was not designed for you. And you felt like a lot of people with autism will say they, they feel almost like aliens sometimes. And I, I think that is, a you know, put yourself in that perspective. Right. This person that feels so disconnected from everybody else that, that they, they feel like they don't belong on this planet. And that's because our, our culture doesn't. Um, isn't um, flexible enough, I think, from from a social perspective yet. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, very, very good point. Well, I'm glad we got into this part of the conversation because I do think that part of of making our world more aware of even how how others maybe aren't necessarily as far outside of your under of outside of our world mm -hmm. as we might think they are. And, and for sure, I think that's one of those, those real, real challenges. You come into your grad, like one of the things that I thought was really kind of fascinating was that you, this was not the life that you were planning. So I was really excited when I was, like I said, when I was in college about this idea of social entrepreneurship uh, and sustainable business, it was something that I thought was always, always drawn to it. Uh, wanted to use entrepreneurship for like a force for good and, yeah, I really, from my life experience, my dad being an entrepreneur saw how powerful business is, and but like that could be used as the idea that that could be used as a lever for change was really appealing for me. Uh, but I had no interest really in working people with autism, or um, certainly no interest in washing cars. Um, but but um, 
you know, I had, I, I liked that general idea. And when I was graduating college, I was like applying to all these different jobs and stuff and looking to work at these organizations. And then this need in our family was like, became so apparent that like, okay, you, you got to do something. Like we actually have, we have to act like no one is going to save Andrew. He, no one is going to really support Andrew in the way that we believe he, he, he should and can be supported. And deserves to be. Yeah. And deserves to be exactly. A lot of social enterprises in general are born out of a need that's personal. And, and this, this is certainly one of those. But I mean, I, I tell you what, like it's been such an incredible experience and we've learned so much. And I think it's what's so exciting about it is, is that the things that we've learned in our business, that's obviously extreme in that 80% of our staff is on the autism spectrum. So, so much of it can be applied to like everyday business and so many other businesses to help them create more inclusive businesses and really help them solve a lot of their problems, especially small, medium-sized businesses. You know, if you own like a local business or, you know, maybe it's a dry cleaner, maybe it's a deli, maybe it's a salon. A lot of times these local businesses really struggle to find talent, right? They struggle to find good employees, employees that really want to work and do the jobs that are there. And they also struggle with like how to build their organization in a way where it can scale and it can differentiate its brand uh, compared to other um, you know competitors. And I think what we found in our business is that a if you build a, a business that is clear, that is objective, that that creates good systems that work well for the people who are actually using them and designed around their needs that your managers are, are deliberately developmental and try to coach and train their employees. You know, when you do those things, people with autism are really an incredible talent pool that will be excited to work in your business. There's, you know, the, the, the data is not great, but somewhere between 55 and 80% of people with autism experience unemployment. And What's you know compared to the fact that there's only 16% of people with autism have a significant intellectual disability. So right off the bat, there's a huge gap between people who are obviously capable of working and working in most businesses and the ones that are actually getting getting hired. So you know there's there's this talent pool that as people companies struggle to find talent, it's less of an issue of a shortage of talent and more of an issue of how we assess and invite talent into our organizations. And then, you know, we've been able to kill the, you know, really kill it from a marketing perspective because, you know, car washes, they all compete on the same things for price and quality and speed of service, right? So we compete on all those things too, and we're good at those things, but we have an added level of a brand that people actually want to support. And I think, I think most businesses could benefit from being able to tell a story that so many people would would you know rally behind in your community? Yeah, that they're uh, you're actually doing this other important thing as well uh, as getting your car washed. Fascinating. Um, one of the things that we were we were talking about earlier, and you, you did kind of allude to it, but it's like, and and I, I just want to accentuate it again is that it that in caring for, like this is what I just heard you say. Maybe I'll just feed it mm -hmm. back. In in choosing to invest in training and finding and training employees well, like to the level that you would have to do it with somebody who is autistic or, or anything else. <laughs> Being able to do that to that degree 
actually does benefit your business in the long run in terms of how you invest in your talent and how you get the most out of out of them and how they feel also the best about the place that they are are operating or working. Yeah. We really aim for our whole team to feel like they're valued, right? And so part of it's hiring, but another thing, and, and I think such an important tactic that goes underutilized by a lot of organizations is this idea of like when someone is struggling at work, like struggling to do a job well, it's easy, easier and the way most people, managers handle it is it becomes blaming that person, right? That, that person has a problem. Everybody else can do this. Why can't they do this? And it's easier to just write that person off than try to understand why they're struggling. And for us, like we had to do that a lot. And what that taught us most of the time was that there was some barrier that we were building into our business inadvertently that's making it difficult for this person to do their job. And when we remove that barrier, it makes it easier for everybody else to do their job. And that person now can be successful. Everybody else, it's easier for them to do their work. It's easier for us to train up new employees to do those things. And that sends a message to the team, right? That it's okay to fail, to struggle. Like we're going to use this as a learning experience and we're going to grow together with it. And that, that, that is this, um, you know, you said, you know, you talked about inclusivity earlier. And, you know, for me, my, my perspective on it is that operationalizing um, inclusivity is about building things that are universal, universally applicable if inside whatever environment that you're doing, right? So for it to be inherently uh, inclusive, it has to work for everyone. And the way that you design things that work for everyone is by finding the people who are struggling the most and designing it around them. And that's where you find the commonalities. Interesting. Do you have a story or an example of that? Yeah, 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 for sure. So uh, one, one of my favorite ones is, so we're a car wash and uh, inherently we have, we have customers that pay with cash. So every night we have to cash out. We have to balance the money, the bank that we, we put in in the morning and take the profit out uh, for the day. And we were having issues where our team members were, were consistently making errors with the, the uh, amount of cash that we were collecting. Uh, some days it would be too much compared to the report. Some days it would be too little. It was just, it was inaccurate 31% of the time. And so we said, okay, well, we have an issue here. How do we fix this? So we looked at it and what we saw was that a lot of our team members were struggling with keeping that money organized. And it was, you know, it would just get jumbled up. And then if there was an error, it was really difficult to figure out what that error was. So what we did was we built this prototype of a, a organizational mat, kind of looks like a, um, a monopoly board for sorting cash. And uh, we called it the money mat. And we introduced it to our team members, specifically the ones who were struggling the most, right? Uh, one, of, one of the team members who was struggling the most gave us some really pointed feedback about the first prototype. He hated it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hated it. Part of the reason was he was kind of stuck in his way. And, you know, it's, it's easy for people to get defensive, right? You know, they know they're struggling with this. And here's a manager that's going out of their way to build something that's going to fix the situation, the immediate response that may not be positive, right? It may feel like, oh, like I'm embarrassed or ashamed or whatever. 
And it's then your job to say, no, no, like we need to fix this. Like, let's do this together. Like what's wrong with it? Why don't you like it? You can't just say you hate it. You have to tell me why you don't like it. And, you know, and he had some good feedback. Some of the proportionality was off. Some of the features were, that, that he thought would be helpful were missing from the board. So we redesigned it and we, we started using it. And what we found was that those errors went down from 31% of the time to 4% of the time. It also dramatically decreased the amount of time it would take for us to train new employees to close the money. That used to be like a two-week process with a manager sitting there, showing them, helping them, coaching them through it, where now it's a couple of days. And the coolest thing about that whole experience was this young man, uh, he he transferred, he wanted to transfer to another one of our locations because it was closer to his house. And as soon as he got to that location, he was advocating with his manager, like, Hey, you, you got to get one of these money mats because it makes the process so much easier. Right. So something he initially he hated because he was brought into the process. He eventually really liked, and then enough to advocate for it. And it made everybody, everybody's job easier through that experience. Hmm. That's a great example. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, bunch of our listeners are Canadian. Okay. Car washes in Canada look a little different than car washes in Florida. So can you, can you tell us, um, and then we're going to, and then I want to ask you a little bit about the book and kind of some of the, the things that you've learned about it, but it's like, what, so when a Canadian hears car wash, we hear like a big building with a bunch of spray wands in it that we operate ourselves and, or an automated, you know, touchless car wash. Right. Um, but that's not what actually what you guys are up to. So, so tell us a little bit about what, well, first of all, what's the business called? And then, and then what, what, what's the process of it's called rising tide car wash. And, um, I think this, these, these types of models will enter Canada shortly, but I do understand that they're not uh, typical car wash models in, in Canada, but, uh, there it's a conveyorized car wash. So the car rolls onto a conveyor. It then is pushed through all these brushes, automated equipment, lots of lots of soaps and pretty lights and, and equipment that, that that touches your car and cleans it. Then the customer can either opt to vacuum the car themselves with uh, we've got free self-service vacuums for customers to use, or they can choose for us to professionally clean the inside of the car. Uh, so they pull into a an, an what we call an aftercare area, but it's an in interior cleaning area. Uh, and they're that's where we then would perform the interior cleaning service. So yeah, they're, 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 it's a larger footprint. You know, these are about an acre, acre and a half, you know, plots. Uh, the, the car wash itself is a hundred to 130 feet long. So it, it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a, a different operation. Each, each one of these stores employs uh, about 30 or so people. So, so it's like one of our stores employs less, one of them employs more than that. But, um, that's essentially, you know, the average um, size of our crew. So you can imagine it's a little bit different than the self-service car wash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to do them. How many locations do you have? Three. So you got three locations, approximately 30 at each. Yeah. Just under a hundred employees. So just under a hundred employees and 80% of them that of your employees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at is, least. Yeah. That's phenomenal. What does it take to be a manager? Of a space like that, like who are you when you're looking to hire managers and to, to, to do it? What are you looking for? Yeah, it's a good question. So early on and for I shouldn't even say early on for a long time, I was, you know, 
we were really trying to find managers from a specific background. Like I tried special education teachers. I tried veterans. I tried people from the restaurant industry because that's a close, very similar industry. And all of that failed. None of that was particularly successful. While we've had people in each of those groups that have been successful, overall, the, the, this, this tie, trying to find this specific type of person from a specific background just didn't work very well. And when we changed our, our model to really thinking about what are the core values that we want this person to have, like we can throw away all the skills. We're going to teach all of the skills. Uh, but what are the values? Somebody who has grit, who has a growth mindset, who's uh, willing to to speak up and be assertive, to to give feedback, to receive feedback, uh, is patient and 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 uh, you know patient for both um, reaching goals as well as has the uh, emotional regulation skills to stay calm in in sometimes stressful situations. When we started to evaluate for those things, we had a, found a much broader talent pool. And so we've got, I mean, we've got managers from all walks of life, from um, tough, tough backgrounds uh, to special education teachers still that there's some had some awesome people that have changed, moved from the education field into, into working with us uh, from current students that are, you know, college students that are looking, they need, you know, working their way through school just kind of runs the gamut. And, and we've had now neurodiverse people in all of those roles too, because also they, many of them have those skills, right? So, um, I, and this is something that we talk about in the book too, is that this concept of um, how do we like just objectively identify what do you actually need to be successful in a role and then building a hiring process around what you actually need in that role. A lot of times that will open up your ability to, to um, find good talent too, because it broadens, broadens the pool. You know, instead of trying to look for this person who's almost meant to be like a savior for your business, right? Like, oh, this person will come in and they'll just be great right away and they're going to fix it for, for me. And I think a lot of business owners you know, have that fantasy and it, it's, it just doesn't work in practice, at least in my experience, for the most part. It's, you know, the context of your business is often so different than other businesses that the skills may not translate. And either way, it's much, in my opinion, much more effective to, to find shared values and hire for shared values than it is to hire for a functional skill set. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Absolutely yeah. agree. And so uh, your story kind of moves along. Uh, I'm assuming that you're coming out of college or you're in high school or whatever, you come out of college and not only running a business like this is not on your, you know, dreams list. <laughs> I am assuming that writing a book probably wasn't on that list either. You know, I'm an avid reader. So like, it was always like something that was in my brain, but never something I thought I would actually do. So we opened our second car wash and like the dust was kind of settling from doing that. And my dad just kind of came up to me one day. He was like, you know, Tom, you should write a book. And I was like, oh, why? Why do you think I should write a book? He's like, well, you know, we, we get all these requests from people that, you know, want to employ people with autism, generally other family members that are affected by autism. But, you know, it's so hard to start a business, especially, you know, 
when a lot of those folks that are looking to to employ people with autism are parents and they're a little older in their you know late fifties a lot of time when their kids graduate high school, you know, what we should try to do is is explain how what we've done here is able to you know work in other businesses and help other businesses. It would be much easier to get people to champion change in existing organizations than it would be to have them start their own businesses. So, you know, he, he said that my first response is like, nah, I can't do that. I'm not writing a book. (laughs) And then, you know, I thought about it for a little while and I talked to some people and of course, you know, he was right. It should write a book. This is a good idea. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, it, it was a long process. I started this process in summer of 2018 and, I, you know, finally now, January 2023, it's going to be released to the world and hopefully, hopefully it'll have the impact that, that we really want it to, which is helping other organizations, you know, find great talent and employ people with autism and create this really mutually beneficial experience. Oh, I love it. And I, I think uh, even when we were doing our pre-interview you know, we were just asking, you know, what are you passionate about? And I, 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 I could hear a, a deep passion in you to to change the world <laughs> in terms of how people not only hire neuro, neurodivergence going on, like autism or other things going on, just how to hire and, and care for good em- and keep good employees, you know, all around. And, and, uh, and that, that, that actually brings actually, it's a, it's a funny thing. We were, we were talking actually before we pressed record, uh, not with you, we, Tara and I were talking before we pressed record and it was like, I'm, I'm currently doing a job out in the shop that is uh, um, not life-giving. Let, let's put it that way. <laughs> it's like more like life-hating kind of thing that's, that I'm having to do. And, and it occurred to me, and we were kind of joking about it, but it's like the amount of people that go to work and go to their jobs and don't find, a, not only do they not find a sense of fulfillment in the thing that they're doing, but they also aren't finding that they're overly appreciated or cared well at, at that job. And uh, I definitely could hear you, even in one of the examples you gave about how you care for your employees mm-hmm. and how that pays off then in not only keeping those employees, but also seeing them thrive and grow and, and expand. I, th- I think you'd given an air conditioning example, like that, you know, like how quickly you change the air conditioner in the break room. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. So being attentive to people's needs, obviously it's hot down here <laughs> If an air conditioner goes out, the team wants it fixed right away. But I really, you know, what you just said really strikes me in, you know, the, the fulfillment aspect of work. And that's why I think what, one of the more interesting parts of this um, idea of targeted hiring, so hiring, a, deliberately bring a group of people into your organization that have a barrier, whether that be people with autism, uh, people who have recently gotten out of prison, uh, homeless people. Uh, people, you know, all whatever group that is, right? Um, because a lot of fulfillment is is seeing impact in your daily work, and this is a way where, like, this then that mission and that impact gets really baked right into the daily work experience, right? You know that you know, hey, you're managing a person, this person who we really want to see be successful. This job means a lot to them. It's a, maybe it's a second chance, or maybe it's a uh, first job opportunity. Uh, And, you know, that, 
I have team members that have been with us, our neurotypical team members for so long. And there are some days that, that just stink that <laughs> they are not that, you know, it was super busy or it was super hot or we had problems and it was just a challenging day where everybody's like, why am I doing this? And then, you know, one of our team members with autism just comes up to them and is like, Hey, can I have my tips? <laughs> like, and, or, or like whatever. And like, there's like this interaction and it's like, wow, like, okay, well that, that's why I'm doing this. That, you know, having that, you know, sweet interaction with Jonathan, that just turned me around. Like I remembered why I'm here. And, you know, those are, they're little interactions. They're not usually like monumental, uh, like, you know, life-changing interactions, but those things are enough to fill people's cup and much like remind them like, Hey, this, this matters. Like this, this I'm, that's why I'm doing this type of stuff. It really does. What's interesting to you. I don't know if you find this or when you're talking about this, do you ever have like pushback from other business owners or other managers who are like, well, the relational way is slow or how are you like, do they question the results you're getting? Like you obviously had the foresight to make sure you have the research to back up what you're saying, which is really interesting. So do you ever get pushback? And then how do you respond? I used to get more when we, there wasn't such a problem. Like when we started this in 2012, there wasn't such a problem with finding entry-level talent. Like the world wasn't at that place at that point where it was like, oh, like, you know, this is a lot of extra work. Like, what am I getting out of this? Today, I think when I talk to you about this, it's, it's like, oh my God, like I can't find anyone that wants to do this. I'm chronically understaffed. People that are here like are disengaged or, or just like they're just here to collect a paycheck. It's not, you know, there, there's not a lot of meaning or fulfillment within my team. So like now it's, it's like they can, it's so much easier for them to readily see like, okay, yes, it's going to be a little bit more work at the beginning. We have to be a little bit more intentional about how we do things, but the payoff is very obvious, right? I can, I can solve something that I'm currently experiencing on a daily basis. I can, I can maybe fix that by doing this. I think that's one of those interesting things too. Like just even one of the, one of the things I do is I'm, I am a, a life coach and like personal and corporate coach. And I use a tool called the Enneagram, which is basically just a tool that helps people understand their, their core motivation and kind of what drives them. And, um, and I think that that's one of the interesting things that's shifting in the workforce and, and learning to invest in your employees in this kind of way is slow. It is slow. Like Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of time, but it creates a more cohesive environment as each person comes to understand a little bit more about themselves and then about the other people that they're working with around them. And I, I think that like, that's what you're doing is an incredibly inspiring kind of a story. And I love that you are, you're not just trying to, you know, make your, make a living with your three car washes. But now as you write this book and you, you start to share it with the world that really this is about changing our perspective on how we care for individual people who happen to work with us, some of whom have unique, unique gifts, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and some unique challenges maybe as well. And Absolutely. so the book is called Power of Potential, How a Non-Traditional Workforce Can Lead You to Run Your Business Better. Do you have any practical tips? Like if someone was like today, what could they implement in their business right now to help their workforces and even think about being more inclusive? Yeah. So um, today, who's struggling in your business? 
have a conversation with them to understand their context, ask them questions. Why are you struggling? What's frustrating you? What do you feel like you need for this to be successful? And just listen. Right. And, and I think a lot of times like you don't have to go into that conversation, making any type of commitments, but just be, be willing to listen. It's like, and then a lot of times, especially people who are experts in their business, which most business owners are, you're going to come up with ways to make, Hey, like I could, I could fix that. Like, that's not that big of a deal. If I give this person this, or there's this tool that we could do that we could give that would maybe that would make life a lot easier. That to me is the first thing that can, like everybody can do that tomorrow. Uh, if you're looking to employ, you know, people with autism or, or start like, like a focused approach in that way with any barrier group, I always recommend starting by thinking about what are the roles that are the hardest for you to fill, right? So where are you struggling the most to find people and then building a training program around that role. So, um, how do you, how would you train someone with no idea how to do this, build that training program? And then you can bring your first people in as trainees, right? You can, you can frame it as it's a training program and barrier groups often, right. Are used to training programs. Um, a lot of times, you know, there can even be incentives that can pay, you know, you don't have to even pay them. Sometimes the, the, there's groups that will, will pay for the, for the training, um, or you, you know, in our case, you know, that's, we don't do that, but we will end up paying people. Um, but what's interesting there is that you can, you can de-risk it, right? You can say, okay, well, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, well, they got trained up and they, they graduated the training program, but there's no job, but if it works, and I will bet you that if you go through this process intentionally, it will work. You'll have some really great employees in a new way to staff your business. That's cool. I love it. Okay, I have one more question that I just thought of. What have you learned about yourself in all of this? Oh, you know, I learned that as a leader, it's so important for me to be able to manage my emotions. That you know, our team, you know, they care. Like my my presence when I'm around, they're they're looking at me, right? They want you know, they want to see approval. They they you know, they want to know that I'm I can be approached. And a lot of times, I'll be stressed, right? Uh, you know, I run a business and there are times where I'm real stressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like knowing that, okay, like you can be stressed, you can be upset, you can be frustrated, but being in control of how you respond to those situations calmly, you know, warmly, maybe with a little bit of humor, it really makes a huge difference with how your team is going to feel around you. And it's something that I, you know, I still work on on a daily basis, certainly not perfect, but that's something that I've really learned about myself that I'm naturally not that person. Naturally, I'm, I, when I get stressed, I direct people and I, I get, you know, intense people, have, you know, definitely called me intense before <laughs> <laughs> and deliberately trying to make sure that you know, I can deliver that message, right? That something needs to be fixed, something needs to change, but I can do it in a way where it's calm and it's warm and it's not, you know, doesn't ring someone's bell. That's, that's what I'm working on. That's good. Oh, Tom, this has been a great conversation. Um, where, uh, and we're, we're always appreciative of anyone's time, mm -hmm. but where, where are people going to be able to find, find this book? You can find the book on our website, uh, risingtidecarwash.com. 
Or if you go onto Amazon, it's the power of potential, how a non-traditional workforce can lead you to run your business better. Awesome. Oh, thanks so much for your time, Tom. I hope this book is a huge success uh, for so many reasons, not just for the work that you put in, but for how it could change people's lives, honestly. Uh, and and even business owners' lives as they as they start to open themselves up to the potential of other other types of employees to bring in and uh, and workforce. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. This was awesome. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, yeah thank it you. Great. It was great. Yeah, I hope, yeah, I hope when I'm in Florida, somebody I'll come in and get my rental <laughs> car. My get my rental car washed. <laughs> Hold on down. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Hey, I, I hope that uh, Andrew's doing well and and the rest of your crew. Uh, at the That's car right. wash. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Thanks. for your time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'd love if you take a moment to rate, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, thanks for listening.